I hate when I eat anything that's like too spicy for me. Yeah. In fact, I like I I'm, I'm such a wuss that even like the spicy chicken sandwich at Wendy's is maybe too spicy for me now. Dude, I'm with you because I, I, my wife enjoys spicy food and I just see her, like it looks like she's suffering when she's- Jared, I'm waiting! <laughs> Hold on, honey, I'm going to come fuck you in a moment. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, as you, you said that you see her- I'm getting card, I'll be right there. <laughs> Sorry, but as you were saying that she's eating spicy food. Yeah, she was like- and then after that, she can't like taste anything else. I'm like, how is this enjoyable? Now I can eat your cooking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now that I can't taste. <laughs> yeah, that's um, like, oh my God, that should be like a boomer comic I should write. Yeah. I hope I get COVID. That way I can maybe enjoy my wife's cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Damn salty ham. I like. I wanted to make like like a bad political com cartoon that would be like, <laughs> um, nineteen eighty, and it's like a guy patting his pants, and he's like, keys, wallet, nineteen ninety, guy patting his pockets, keys, wallet, pager, and then like nineteen <laughs> or two thousand, keys, wallet, cell phone, and then it's like two thousand twenty two, keys, wallet, cell phone. Uh, vaccination card. <laughs> Just like all the things that like people yeah. <laughs> pretend, <laughs> pretend are the equivalent of like a modern day Holocaust. I can't believe that that like me, a guy that walks around with nothing to identify myself except for a passport and or a driver's license now has to have a vaccination card that tells yes. people exactly who I am. <laughs> and that same guy that thinks vaccine cards are such a, hor a horrible affront also supports voter ID cards. So gross. Yep. America. Honey, I'm waiting. This is Wings Nuts, a podcast that talks about every episode of Wings in sequential order, one at a time. There are two of us here, so feel free to double your pleasure, double your fun. I'm Jared, here with Emerson. Emerson, how are you feeling today? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm a little tired, but I'm otherwise pretty good. We played tennis last night, and then we went and got ramen after the tennis, and so I am like, I don't know, I didn't like really get great sleep. You know, just kept on staying up later than I meant to and like ended up, ended up finishing the entire movie of um, Mission Impossible because yeah. it's pretty damn good. Uh, imagine how bad you would feel if you had the ramen before the tennis, though. Just sloshing around in there. <laughs> Every time I like run for a, for a ball, it's like. <laughs> yeah. How you doing? I can't complain. You're allowed to, actually. I won't complain. Cool. We've come here today to discuss Wings, Season 2, Episode 3, entitled A Little Nightmare Music. The original broadcast date is Friday, October 12th, 1990. With a title like that, in the month of October, I was expecting a Halloween-y kind of episode, but that's not what we got. 
Emerson, do you have the IMDb description of this episode? I do. So I'm going to read this um, word for word as it appears on IMDb.com, Internet Movie Database, for those of you that don't like abbreviations. IMDb synopsis. Brian comes up with the plan to hold to one of his baggage. Helen then goes to where he is staying to return it and play for him. And he tells her that that's no good. That's when Joe goes to see the man and tell him off. Did Popo the Clown write that? Uh, I don't know. Popo the Clown. You know, no one's heard from him for years. He kind of went out like uh, Harry Houdini. Too many mechanics punching him in the gut. And also, he probably should have taken some of those sedatives and not just made them... I'll come out of his ear, <laughs> go in his nose and out of his ear. I, I, I think he was on a couple sedatives when he wrote that IMDb description, though. Maybe. Do you have a better description? Yeah, that, that description this week on IMDb was total shit. So I, I did look at the Paramount Plus description, which was a shade better. It says, Helen forces a noted conductor to listen to her music, only to learn that her years of practice may have been for nothing. That's way more concise and way better. I have a bone to pick with Paramount Plus, though. Yes, pick away. I'm paying for that no-ad version, and when I try to watch Wings, I have to watch like a 30-second ad for Paramount Plus, a service that I'm already paying for. Like, why are you forcing me to sit? And I can't... Like, HBO Max will do the same thing where they'll show a 30-second commercial for one of their TV shows or, or movies, but you can skip it. You can press the fast forward button and it'll jump to the end because they know that people don't want to sit there and watch the same commercial because it's the same commercial. I get mm-hmm. it. Amy Schumer is doing a TV show on Paramount Plus. I do not need you to like remind me every time I try to watch my favorite show, Wings. Preach. I tried to cancel it on Monday and I was like, you know what? I'll cancel it. We'll like ride it out to like the end because I think my billing date is in a couple weeks. And I was like, we'll just use it for a couple of weeks and then we'll just switch to like the um, the DVD. But then when I tried to cancel it, they were like, how about 50% off? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's only for two months. So I think at the end of two months, I'll just cancel it again. That's a good plan. So um, should we start as we usually do with some headlines? I started my news journey reading the Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror. Oh, good. A little update on the plane crash we read about last week. This headline reads, Radar installation stepped up after air crash kills two. And basically, the FAA is rushing to install a new radar system for the Nantucket Memorial Air Airport. And I guess this system was already slated to be installed there, but now there's they got a little fire under their ass because of the crashed plane. And there's a quote from the FAA Tower Chief, Bob McCready. All of a sudden, there's a big green light everywhere. Well, good. (laughs) So that's what the man upstairs has to say about that. Okay. Um, So I I found on page 12A of the Nantucket uh, Inquirer Mirror, there's a little column called Here and There. And I thought it'd be fun just to kind of read, like like get an idea of uh, things that are going on (laughs) around... I guess around the city, like because this article starts off as by Merle T. Orleans. Uh, <laughs> the sun rose this morning at 6:52 in a partly cloudy, foggy, pale blue sky. It will set at 6:09 this evening. The early nightening sky is beginning to seem more normal, and the sunsets have been beautiful this past week. 
showing through the pine trees and gaining in the reddish beauty as the sun gets closer to the horizon. Light your automobile, bicycle, and carriage lamps at 639 tonight. And as of two weeks ago, September 25th, Yosemite has been a national park for 100 beautiful years. Aww. I thought that was just kind of nice. It's like a little... And I thought maybe let's just try to like grab another random section from a later paragraph before I give it back to you for something that actually matters. <laughs> Ooh, the shuttle Discovery returned to Edward Air Force Base before 10 o'clock yesterday morning, having launched Ulysses, its space vehicle. Nice. Yeah, I actually pulled a few ads from the Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror. The first one I found interesting reads, Counter Help Wanted, part-time weekends and some evenings. Inquire in person to Mr. Perry, Nantucket Memorial Airport. So I just found it kind of cute that they need, Helen needs a little help at her counter, and they're putting an ad in the paper to get some uh, some work at the airport. That's great. Did you see the ad on page 12A that says, Happy birthday, Merle, from the staff at the Inquirer and Mirror? <laughs> Merle being the woman that wrote that last article I just read. <laughs> Man, it's her, her birthday, and she's still clocking in to write her column at the Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, at the end of her end of, end of her article, I don't know if it's included or if it's like they um, just used this space after her article. Uh, marriage intentions, marriage intentions, which I love. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's like like you propose to your woman, and then then you're like, hey, uh, um, before I get married to this woman, and she like lays in bed all day saying, I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm going to send in a, like a quick uh, update to the Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror. The best laid plans. I'm not married, but is that accurate that uh, when you get married to somebody, they just stay in the bedroom all day going, honey, I'm waiting. Yes, and they famously have an insatiable sexual appetite. <laughs> that you, for some reason, just cannot handle. I oh, Please interrupt me with your cello playing. Wives be horny. <laughs> they, they're not shopping anymore. It's the 90s. Women be horny. <laughs> I have another ad from the paper. Yes. Um, and, I, and I guess this alludes to Nantucket's having its cranberry harvest season in Nantucket, and they have a lot of kind of goings on around town. Oh, do they I have clip- bugs? What's that? Does, does Nantucket have, have like cranberry bugs? I don't know. Is, do cranberries grow in bogs? Yeah, like it's it's like really cool if you if you watch like cranberry harvests, you're wading through like ankle deep water, and like the cranberries themselves are floating, and it's like a bog that you're like pulling them out of. They must because there was a lot of ink on cra- this cranberry harvest festival in Nantucket. I liked this ad because it's for a restaurant called Jared Coffin House. Hey, <laughs> And that's, of course, my name, so it piqued my interest. But the ad reads, The culinary staff of the Jared Coffin House invites you to help us enjoy the Nantucket Cranberry Harvest by dining with us in either one of our fine restaurants and trying one or more of our special cranberry recipes created especially for this weekend. Wow, that rules. I uh, jumped to the Boston Globe. So my first, I hope I'm not stealing yours, but uh, on page seven, we have national briefs. Mm -hmm. 
and I found a little headline, these drug dogs take to their prey. <laughs> In Champaign, Illinois, dr- uh, dogs trained to sniff out illegal drugs are getting carried away with their work, wolfing down marijuana, cocaine, and other narcotics in the frenzy of the hunt, a veterinary researcher said yesterday. The problem has become sufficiently common that guidelines have been published telling veterinarians how to treat drug overdoses in dogs, said Val Beasley of the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Illinois. The dogs become overly excited when they make a fine, he said, and sometimes down a mouthful of what they have detected before just before police or customs officers handling them can step in. Wow. <laughs> I think those dogs are just guilty of the line of work they're in and they're just trying to eat the evidence so they're not they don't have to narc on anyone maybe yeah yeah they're just like there's nothing wrong about this I have a headline Bush adds to confusion over budget so there was potentially a government shutdown looming, and the House had rejected a budget compromise plan the preceding week. And I'll quote the article. For a third straight day, Bush pursued the politically costly strategy of refusing to say exactly what he wanted in a budget and deficit reduction plan. Interesting. He's, uh, yeah, just kind of like, Heidi, 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 hi. Yeah, I think because he was like the no new taxes guy and all that, I think he was kind of in a tough spot where they would have had to to cut a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like when you're the CEO of your company and you're like, the main thing we're going to do is we're, we're going to like value all of our employees. We're not going to fire anybody. And then like three months down the line, you're like, you got to make some cuts. Mm-hmm. You know what's crazy? I'm reading the Aquarius uh, here in the Boston Globe from October 12th, 1990. And it like could not have applied more to me as an Aquarius back then. Because this was Friday, October 12th, 1990. You know, I was in sixth grade, maybe fifth grade. And uh, I just remember like how much this applied to me. Relationships could reach a turning point today. Be willing to acquiesce to the needs of others Saturday. Your sharp wit and sense of fun makes you popular on Sunday. The thing is, I wasn't (laughs) willing to acquiesce on Saturday, but on Sunday, my sharp wit did really kind of pull me through. So it kind of worked out in the end. That's kind of a weird phrasing, like having specific days of the week. I do remember like like reading uh, horoscopes. I've always like kind of read them. Not believing them, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe I'm kind of like Roy in today's episode where mm-hmm. I'm like very skeptical of it, but at the same time, I'm like, damn you, devil woman, you got me awake. I hate when I forget to acquiesce on Saturdays, though. <laughs> Headline Bitterness and Rage Echo in Jerusalem. So, this is referring to, I guess, three days before the article was written. Uh, There was an event which is now known as the Temple Mount Riots, but basically there was uh, rising tensions between Palestinians and Israelis um, around around the Temple Mount, which is like a holy site for both religions. And uh, the inflamed tensions kind of led to Israeli security forces going apeshit on Palestinians, and 19 were killed. And later... 
the UN condemned the Israeli armed forces for the action. Yikes. I'm glad they condemned them. You know. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Please just don't. Please treat humans like humans. And, you know, uh, Jared Kushner fixed all the issues in Israel. So this is this is not a headline you would see today. Uh, we have a Garfield comic from October 12th, 1990. We got Odie on the table next to Garfield. Garfield says, I've taught Odie a new trick. And then Garfield does a soccer kick, kicking Odie up into the air. And Garfield goes, down, boy. And then in the third panel, he says, good boy, because obviously gravity did its trick and helped Odie uh, get down. Fall to the ground. Yep, 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 yep. Also, isn't it interesting? I'm saying that Garfield says these, but it's always the thought bubbles. Yeah, I kind of hate that about Garfield because, like, John always reacts to what he's thinking as if he heard it. He does and he doesn't, right? I'm like, is John telepathic or... Not necessarily. I, I like sometimes I get the idea that John doesn't hear what Garfield is thinking, but he responds to like Garfield. I also I I loved that like kind of thought experiment, if you would call it that, like of Garfield minus Garfield mm-hmm. that was popular a yeah. decade ago, because it really does make it more existential. The idea of just this lonely man, not even a cat owner. Yeah, I enjoyed that more than I enjoy Garfield. I hate when John breaks the fourth wall. Does he do that? I don't remember. I feel like he like looks right at us. Garfield will think something, and then John will like look right at us with like that that smug look. Maybe you just have some kind of guilt, <laughs> and <laughs> when whenever a comic strip character like looks is like drawn, uh, looking with both eyes towards mm-hmm. whatever the reader, you're you're like what they they know <laughs> they know everything, dude. If he can hear Garfield's thoughts, he can hear what I'm thinking, and that's dangerous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Fucking John. Like I feel like um, Jim Davis and also Bill Watterson, like the like Calvin and Hobbes. Even though Bill Watterson refused to um, to commercialize Calvin and Hobbes and not have like any, he he refused to sell like plushies or stickers and stuff mm-hmm. like that all, all he would sell were like a book like binded collections of calvin and Hobbes. i feel like both are worth like i think jim davis is maybe in the billions and bill watterson is like like in the hundred million yeah. category like when i was growing up every single friend like if i went to their house there would be gar like like dozens of garfield books and there would be also be like a few calvin and Hobbes. yeah far side too gary larson yeah I had I definitely had all that stuff too. In fact, I have like I bought the the more the most recent Calvin and Hobbes like kind of bound collection. It's really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Does does Bill Watterson make any money when um Calvin's on the back of a truck peeing on something? Nope. He does not. I have the headline Bush announces nominee for FDA. So basically Bush nominated David A. Kessler to uh, head the FDA. And I just only reason I found this interesting is that um, Kessler found his way into the Biden administration. Biden nominated Kessler to one of the three co-chairs to his COVID-19 advisory board and then went on to have him lead Operation Warp Speed. You know, there's so much divisiveness in government, but it's good to see that, you know, a right wing Democrat can uh, find common ground with uh, a, a Bush and 
And this guy, Kessler, seemed to be close to both Bush and Biden. And I'm just wondering if Kessler has anything to do with whatever drug cocktail keeps Biden upright and occasionally lucid. So I found an article on page 21, firemen held on arson charges, which is always like an interesting story where it's, and actually this article was written before any court proceedings. So I don't know what the, what the final findings were, but I feel like that happens a lot where like the fireman wants to be the hero. And so they start a fire and then they, they like position themselves to be the first to respond. Yeah. Okay. I have a headline record warmth scene for 1990. So scientists testified that 1990 would set the record for the hottest year on record, which I found interesting only because 1990 today is no longer considered the hottest year on record. In fact, it's not even in the top 10. Emerson, do you want to guess what year is currently the hottest year on record? Uh, 2021. Very close, but I'll, can I count down the top 10 of hottest years? Yeah. Number 10, 2009, then 2005, 2013, 2010, 2014, 2018, 2017, 2015, 2019, and currently the hottest year on record is 2016. Wow. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I wrote down uh, under my Boston Globe section of my notes, page eight, record warmth. Oops. Hey there, global warming. <laughs> because I knew that also <laughs> 1990 would be like like long gone as like the hottest year. Yeah, it's, and that's so interesting. So the, the 21st century sets all the records for hottest years. Those years are so hot. <laughs> They're so hot. It's hot. It's so hot. What I just wanted to note one more thing is that yeah I was kind of surprised when I was reading the first couple pages of the paper. I'm like, where's all the stuff on Iraq? But the paper, the Boston Globe now has a whole section called Crisis in the Middle East with varying articles. Nothing worthy of digging too deep into, but the headlines were, Britain says Iraq must pull out or face use of force. And another headline read, Envoy says Iraq is ready for Mideast regional talks. Ooh, I actually have one more cool thing on page uh, 85 in the classified section. Burt Ward's private Batman collection at public auction, Saturday, October 13th, 1990. Auction starts at 9 p.m. at the West Warwick, Rhode Island Civic Center. Burt Ward's personal Robin costume. Wow. 120 episodes of original Batman series, mini special event material, Batman press information and storylines, promotional scripts, French Batman poster, mini color photographs, 8x10s, sell from Batman cartoon. Note, Burt Ward will be at the show and auction from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. to sign autographs. Wow. Can we run down the talent for this episode? Yeah, yes, please. Once again, produced by Roz Doyle. Once again, directed by Noam Pitlick. This episode was written by Brian Winter, who had some luminous credits. He was a producer on In the House, which was an LL Cool J vehicle. He was a writer on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and a writer on The Cosby Show. Wow, yeah, that's that's esteem. And he wrote this episode of Wings. Then we had some guest stars. We had... 
David Ogden Steers as esteemed conductor Edward Tinsdale. Yes. Yeah, I've, I found him quite good in this episode. And yeah. He's a acclaimed voice actor uh, doing like narration and Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he was on. He was in Beauty and the Beast, Lilo and Stitch, a lot of Disney stuff. Um, he also acted in Frasier, Dead Zone, the TV show, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place, Alf, Matlock, Mary Tyler Moore, Mash, and so many others. I also, um, in reference to his character, I was like, I wrote, does Wings hate conductors? <laughs> yes, <laughs> they just portray them as like these like super stuffy douchebags. And they, and they had to make a point of saying he was a conductor from a different orchestra since we already, like, had the conductor for the Boston Philharmonic referred to in a previous episode. Yes. So he was, like, the Minneapolis conductor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of guess, do you, do you have the um, the newlywed uh, wife next? Yeah. So uh, it was Kelly Morocco. She's also billed on some shows as Kelly Miller, but she played Mrs. Tinsdale. Mm-hmm. And she's done a lot of um, kind of guest bits on episodes. She had a run on Bold and the Beautiful, did a guest spot on Frasier. She was on a short-lived series called Time Tracks. And she was in Georgia the Jungle. She liked that so much she returned for Georgia the Jungle too. The um, uh, Brendan Frasier movies? Yes, are they both Brendan Fraser or was it number two like when they did Flintstones 2 and they just found some other actor to play? Uh, no, I, I believe it was still uh, Brandon Fraser. Nice. I thought I thought she like I don't know if I would call her the VIP of the episode, but I thought that her character had some of the funniest moments. Yeah, they didn't they didn't give her much, but they gave her some bangers. Yeah, for sure. Then we had William Jackson as Passenger. Oh, the guy the guy that drops his wallet? Yes, the guy the the stranger that brings Lowell some some good fortune. Uh he has a, he had a long run of bit parts. Uh um he was on uh, Love Boat, Cheers, Dallas, Melrose Place, and a bunch of other stuff too. But I I will I, I do want to say that um me saying me like mentioning that the newlywed wife, Mrs. Tinsdale, has one of the funniest lines. Um, I think I would give the VIP to Roy. I think Roy has like the funnest kind of like through line. (laughs) Just like, uh, so like we're getting into the episode, right? We start Mm -hmm. off with, with like, um, Faye trying to read Lowell's fortune. Lowell being like, I'm not comfortable with that. Like Faye being like, don't worry, it'll be fine. And then immediately just being like, Oh, tortured souls of eternal darkness. Open my eyes that I might see. But then I think Roy walks in and has the first like really funny line. What is this? Uh, a meeting of the mindless? Yes. <laughs> and then, <laughs> do I look like an idiot? Which is such a fun setup. And like, mm-hmm. it is like it is like Lil's line is fun. Like, oh, she's a little sask, Madame Zaro. <laughs> yeah, it's a good a good play. Cause yeah, like you see like like you see the. The baseball sitting on the tee like that, you want to take a big old swing and just like smash it over the fence. I, I wrote that the A line of this thing is the famous, like as we already said, a famous Minneapolis conductor flies in on Sepapra Air and Helen tries to use the opportunity to, to play for him, to audition for him. The B line is like Faye predicting Roy's death via her fortune, t- 
telling witchcraft and and Roy kind of just like freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the sea line is uh, a clown with light up pants. Yes. Haunts everybody's nightmares. That's <laughs> that's what yeah. I wrote. Popo the clown, like it's so cool to see the gang like all the all the boys in the gang are are stoked for Popo the clown being in town. Yeah, which also I wrote down um did Lowell grow up with Roy and sorry, no, did Lowell grow up with Brian and Joe? Like I wonder if the three of them were like childhood friends. I don't think so. I think it's just I think I have a feeling like Popo is like this regional. Like if like back in the day it seemed like every little county had its own regional clowns. And it feels like Popo was probably like the Nantucket clown that made the circuit. I'm one of those like uh cliches that like finds clowns terrifying. Mm. I really like I, I think it was like it's the painted on face that freaks me out. Or that yes. like, like as an adult I'm not so much, but growing up I definitely found like the fact that like the human being wearing the makeup could be like in a foul mood, but you get this big old painted on smile mm-hmm. and these like overexposed <laughs> eyes and stuff. Also, um I remember being at the mall when I was a kid. And someone dressed as a robot was walking through, and I was like, "This is not okay. I don't want. I don't want this near me." <laughs> oh, where they like paint their skin silver? Or no, it was, was like robot suit. It was a big like. It was actually like really boxy. It's kind of cool in hindsight. <laughs> Who's the the maid on um, Jetsons? Rosie. Rosie. Yeah. Yeah, like kind of that sh- that body shape, but like you know, with feet, as, not not like a unicycle bottom. Do you remember the name of Popo's band? Oh my God! No, the <laughs> Papa was ragtime band. Ragtime. A bit of confusion there because Lowell thought that uh, Helen was referring to auditioning for Papa's ragtime band when, when she was um, excited that conductor Edward Tinsdale was in the room. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was like a like a kind of a fun parallel understanding yes. sort of like <laughs> conversation. He's mostly. Uses kazoo's, whatever. Yes. Oh yeah, I I like that in that that opening scene too, where like Roy gives gives that line, uh, the, what is this, the meaning of the mindless, to uh, Faye and Lull. We see a guy sitting at at the counter in the back, and later we find out that's Brian. Oh really? Yeah, they they play a lot with that. Like later in the episode when um, Lull is like sitting there stunned because we as we find out, he uh, punched. Popo, Popo in the, the in the stomach and it didn't make the funny noise he was expecting. Yeah. Face says like, oh, I'm like really worried about Alan, Helen. And you see Helen in the background, you know, like they really play a lot around with like blocking. And I think it's a cool thing they do. Like they really like kind of play with the dynamic of like what characters are doing in the background and stuff. For a moment, I saw a man leading a blind woman with a cane and she was wearing a fanny pack in the background. And that man was Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I wrote that Brian with no tie but a great shirt. That's his first outfit. Mm-hmm. It's, he's got like a pink, kind of like a pink, almost like a surf shirt, like a surf loved company. I do you, do you, could you tell what was on his um, Hawaiian, like his button-up shirt? No, I couldn't tell. But I loved that over, over shirt. I did too, but I wrote down that it might be like boxing gloves and like tickets, like like boxing tickets or something. Some of the pink shapes look like uh, boxing gloves, kind of. But is it just abstract? I tried really hard to like uh, see it. I want them to release like a Blu-ray. Yeah, we <laughs> just... need a 4K restoration just yeah. to get better details on Brian's ties. And 
I want to be like a Blade Runner, like uh, enhance, <laughs> enhance, enhance, zoom. Yeah. So basically, yeah, uh, the, the story starts off where Helen sees this Minneapolis conductor, is excited, wants to say something. She, like when they're like, what would you say? She like says something that sounds really, really, really intelligent. Schoenberg's like, dotaphonic dota dota scale? Yeah, like do you think it's, uh, what's the shit? Like do you think it's a fraud or like a real thing? I know. I'll ask him if you think Schoenberg's dodecaphonic scale is the musical fraud of the 20th century or just a viable expression of non-cadential polytonality. That I had to look that up. Show, oh, yeah. What did you find? Uh, so it's it's basically a scale. It's, a, it's also called 12-tone technique, and it uses oh. all 12 notes of the chromatic scale, and it de-emphasizes having a dominant note. So... That what that does is it creates songs that don't have a, a signature key. And so I went to listen to some music that used this dotaphonic dota scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, like Frank Zappa has a really shitty song that is in the dotaphonic scale. Mm -hmm. And um, I listened to some of Schoenberg's and some other stuff. And most of the songs I found uh, aggressively annoying. It, it, it I could see a song... That uses this scale being good as like film score because it it's kind of makes you feel tense and uneasy. Almost like that, like that endless build up sound that they use in movies where it always sounds like or like have you seen that like in, in Super Mario Brothers like levels? They have like a, a technique where they basically it sounds like the song is continuing continuing to intensify, even though it's just playing the same like notes over and over again could be i'm not sure but there was like a quote in Wiki the wikipedia article on this from uh, american composer scott bradley uh, best known for his musical scores for work like tom and jerry and droopy dog and it said he utilized the 12-tone technique in his work oh boy they quoted him as saying why he used it uh quote the 12-tone system provides the out-of-this-world progression so necessary to underwrite the fantastic and incredible situations which present-day cartoons have. So Interesting. But Helen didn't, didn't bring that up with Tinsdale, right? Right. No, she walks up to him and she says, Who's your favorite conductor? Yeah. And this guy, this man who stands 11 foot 4, looks down <laughs> at her from his... Uh, eyeglasses and bald head and says i am <laughs> and she giggles and he says i'm not joking yes he's a bit haughty he's a bit haughty yeah <laughs> he's a bit haughty and uh helen's the naughty haughty and the naughty <laughs> yeah and i loved helen's line when she's like kind of shrugs off and leaves she, she goes why don't i just go away now and he just goes Bye. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like she even says it kind of like, "Why don't I just leave now?" Like almost like like beating him the line, mm -hmm. and he, or, or, or like guessing his next line. This leads uh, to the Hackett brothers breaking Lowell. Yes, <laughs> Brian devises a plan to uh, purposely lose the conductor's bag and have Helen return it to him, and and like uh, put her foot in the door and like demand uh, the chance to audition for him yeah. with her cello, while. This man is on his honeymoon. <laughs> like, come on, have like be humans. <laughs> yeah, as hot as haughty and kind of uptight as Tinsdale is, I gotta say, like, he could have been 
a much bigger asshole with the treatment he's getting from the Wings gang. Mm-hmm. And and this scheme of losing his bag so Helen can return it later is just like classic sitcom shenanigans. I kind of love that this this week we get a, a, a total shenanigan plot. But I wrote that, that this breaks Lowell. It does. Because he's like, that wasn't in the manual. <laughs> yes. Wait, this goes against everything I believe in as a baggage handler. And then like later he just goes overboard with yes. it where he's like, I think he's just like losing every bet. Every bag losing, you know, he like says that the conductor's bag is lost. Then he uh, gives them the wrong bag. Mm-hmm. And then Helen's cello is gone. And then Lowell reveals that he took it. Yes. Calls it baggage humor. <laughs> and then later he stabs a woman in the thigh. We don't see it in the episode. And then he punches a clown in the stomach. <laughs> and that's what finally kind of brings it back to reality. He kind of spins out, doesn't he? A little bit, yeah. But it's so against his nature to lie. Like, I love when Tinsdale comes up and Lowell lies to him. He has this unique voice he uses when he lies. Sir, we have lost your bag. No, sir, your bag is lost. Like <laughs> I have uh, two bags. There's one here, one's missing. Is there more luggage outside? No. I'm afraid your bag is lost. What chaos have they unleashed? Yeah. Lowell was already primed to snap from Fade's fortune reading. Now he's on a speed dive to the chaos realm. Cut to Lowell playing the cello in Minneapolis wearing nothing but a string of sausages. Oh my god. I'd love to see that. (laughs) If Tinsdale just left with Lowell instead of Helen. Yeah. But before the gang gets excited and runs out to see Popo, Brian does something totally disgusting. Helen has a fresh batch of potato salad she's mixing and br- or egg salad, Brian grabs the spoon, eats off of it, and puts it right back in the bowl. Oh, yes. You know, if Helen isn't going to make it as a cello player and aims to be the best kind of waitress restaurateur, I don't see how she can accept, like, that level of food can- contamination at her counter. Not okay. Yeah, it, it, I th- To me, that's worse than drinking creamer straight out of the tin. I would agree. I would definitely agree. Yeah, I didn't even occur to me that he was like eating from like a bowl that she would be serving from, but that's 100% what he was yeah. doing. Gross. Yeah, they do follow through with it. Tinsdale sees that his bag is gone. Joe says, we'll return it. Tinsdale's wife is like, I can figure out something we can do. Yes. These guys, basically what we don't see uh, during this episode is that Tinsdale and his newlywed are just... Doing it nonstop. Their, con- their honeymoon is just constant fucking, only, only with brief pauses for cello auditions. Which I know, I know this because my uncle, my uncle works for uh, Paramount and NBC, and my uncle has like an unedited version, and you can see them doing it. You can see it; it's real. I'm not even lying; it's real. They're doing it. Like, like you see, you see uh, everything. You see his butt, and you see her boobs. <laughs> The uncut hardcore uh, cut of this. <laughs> oh, it's so hardcore. You see her boobs. Do you see uh, Tinsdale's cack? <laughs> Did you uh, have a friend like that growing up that would like make up weird lies? Yes. Oh. <laughs> we had like my brother and I had the neighbor that like we went over there um, with our Nintendo, our NES Advantage controller. Mm-hmm. It was like the um, just like big gray rectangle joystick that had like almost like an arcade machine um, big buttons on it. It's just got like a, a different way to play it or NES games. 
and we like brought it over there to play video games with him and then like when it was time to go home for dinner we like left it there so he could play with it when we went back the next day we were like oh can we grab that controller back and he was like what controller and we were like you know the nes advantage controller (laughs) that we see right there and he was like oh that's my cousin's my cousin left that here and we were like no that's ours and he was like no it's my cousin's and my brother and i were like looked at each other and we were like later dude and we just like stopped being friends with him i sat next to uh this girl in seventh grade militia culpepper and out of the blue she goes oh can i borrow your pencil and i'm like yeah and i hand it to her and she just snaps it in half and broke it i'm like hey why'd you do that Uh, she said i don't care or something like that she had a pencil all along she picks it up and snaps it in half snaps her own pencil in half and calls over the teacher a teacher teacher and the teacher comes over and she goes, Jared broke my pencil and shows her her broken pencil. And I'm like, no, she broke my pencil. And she goes, no, he broke his pencil after he broke mine and said he was going to say that I broke his. And like I legitimately got in trouble for it. Kids are fucking weird. Yeah, kids are really weird. I've never been like the liar kid, but like I, I wonder like what causes that to happen. <laughs> yes. Well, back to the back to wings. <laughs> Um, so yeah, eventually they pull off the plan after some luggage humor, they give Helen Tinsdale's bag, send her to Tinsdale's, uh, honeymoon suite, Mm -hmm. which has a beautiful statue of a whale on that Mm -hmm. table. Tinsdale is relieved to have the bag back, but he's, you know, honey, I'm waiting. He's got the newlywed in the other room. Helen insists, (laughs) plays her cello for him. And we find out that Helen's not that talented. Mr. Tinsdale doesn't like it. Yeah. I wrote down, like, it's incredibly rude of Helen to audition for the student's honeymoon. He's kind of a dick, but she's also really asking for it. Yeah. And I said, I love the decor of the honeymoon suite. Big old (laughs) whale statue. And at the end, like, Tinsdale rebuffed her, and she's disappointed, of course. Mm -hmm. But he says, like, I think you should give it up and concentrate on something you're good at. She goes, oh, but if, if if I'm not a cellist... I'm a waitress. It just kind of made me sad. Like, she's not just a waitress. She's a business owner. She's a chef. Like, she, we rarely see her actually serving people. It's more, you know, preparing the food and running a, a whole-ass business. Yeah. Well, I heard that Crystal Bernard had that in her contract, that because she spent so many of her, uh, her teen years as a server, that she, you would never actually see her serving people. <laughs> Really? No. no wow. I'm making it up. Oh, you got me again. Got you again. Somebody stop me. I'm a pistol today. So, yeah, and, and like Tinsdale, he, he tells her how bad she is in the yes. most cartoonish way possible. You have zero talent, but your musical comprehension is suboptimal yes. at best. Or some, he says something really mean. <laughs> He's like basically a French waiter. Uh, sir. How dare you order such a terrible meal to my restaurant or something? Yes. Wow. Sorry to all of our French listeners. <laughs> We're not sorry to the French ever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she had it coming. She barges in there, you know, during his fuckfest 89, sits on his hat. I did think it, it was pretty cool that it actually looked like Helen knew how to play the cello. And I think, you know, we've heard Crystal Bernard did not know how to play the cello, but they did some... She has her acting chops down because it, it looked like she was really playing it. I didn't realize that she uh, that she did not play the cello. The actress didn't know how to play. 
because we know that she can play music. Mm. But yeah, did, was that like um, set out that she does not play the cello? God, I thought it was. Let me see. I gotta Google it now. She doesn't really play the cello. Wow, yeah. She looks great doing it, for sure. She at least learned how to position her hands correctly for a series of notes occurring. Where, uh, where along this do we see uh, Roy return... Sorry, Lowell return the wallet to that man, and he gives Roy 20... He gives Lowell $20. Wow. I'm that that happened in the um, previous scene before we see uh, the, the Tinsdale house. It's Okay, so for that, that storyline, I guess that's the B line of Roy being terrified. I guess it's like it's like Lowell, Roy, and um Faye. And Roy is like skeptical of all this like nonsense. But then Lowell returns a wallet to like a passenger and the passenger is like so like like happy that Lowell returned it, he gives Lowell twenty bucks and Roy is like, Don't you see? Faye predicted that and now now Roy wants to get his fortune read by Faye. Mm-hmm. And Faye flips some cards over and then reacts in visible terror, like that yeah. she sees something really awful in Roy's future. Which freaks them both out. I wrote down, Roy is so afraid of, of Faye's reading. And I like this aspect of Roy. He's skeptical and smarmy, but so quick to believe in something superstitious, I guess. He's convinced yeah. by just one random coincidence. And I, th- I feel like this kind of fits with him also, you know, in the previous episode where he's like, oh, yeah, those guys want to do the article about me. No way, you know. But then as soon as, like, no one's looking, he's like, oh, please do an article about me. Yeah, it's almost like he, his character fronts a lot. Like, he fronts to be one way, but then in reality is the opposite. I feel like Roy would break your pencil and then be like, teacher, he broke my pencil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Faye tries to, like, blow it off um and lie to him and says oh you pulled the cheese card you're gonna become a big cheese around here Mm -hmm. but then she's so frightened that she won't take a ride home from roy and instead wants to walk home six miles six miles and i I like looked up nantucket on google maps to see how big nantucket is and it is like maybe 15 miles from one into the other so six miles is plausible yeah helen comes back to the airport and we see that brian has a tie on brian's tie report he's got good two good ties in this episode he does but could you tell what they were uh the second one i could this first one i almost broke my skull trying to figure it out me too it's like enhance enhance oh it was driving me crazy i was trying to figure out like the same thing with his shirt I like, yeah. r- like really, really tried hard to like figure out what that tie was. It's like vertical, like, you know, I mean, ties are obviously vertical, but there's like a red rectangle at the top kind of stripe across the top uh-huh. with like a shape in it. Yes. And then underneath it, there's like another similar thing. I don't know what yeah. that was. Yeah. This was like a maroon tie and it had two fat, thick red lines. Yeah. The top one. I wrote down that it, it could be like an outline of a woman's face at the bottom, but then at the top sketch kind of looked almost like it was just a woman's haircut or it, it kind of also looked like a skeleton or like one of those fossilized trilobites almost. Yeah. Yeah. It had really odd sketched line shapes 
on them, two of them, over these blocky red horizontal lines. Yes. Uh, I was like... A creepy tie. The top also, almost like a feather to me or something. The second tie, I totally sussed out. This first one. And should we just uh, do spoiler alert for the second tie? I saw 49, 49 at the top. Of the top of the tie? Yeah. Do you know what it is, the second tie? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see 49, though. Yeah, 4-9. I saw what you're referring to as 4-9 looked like a lasso going around a horseshoe to me. Oh, okay. And at the bottom, I'm 99% sure at the bottom of that tie is a cowboy boot. Really? So, And it's also like a maroon tie. But yeah. I saw a cowboy boot, a lasso, and a horseshoe. Okay. Kind of Western-themed. Western-themed. I tried really, really hard to see both of these ties, and it was driving me nuts. And I like to think that Brian like put on that tie to hope, hope, hoping he'd run into Popo the Clown again to like impress him, kind of audition to be like a, a cowboy sidekick to Popo. Oh, that would be perfect. I could totally see Brian being a clown's, being some sort of clowny performer. You're right, a cowboy boot. I got it on my screen right now. I just four I saw four nine and I thought that maybe like that that was like the 49ers um mascot. Well even even 49 fits as like, like a um the cowboy theme kind of a little bit. Yeah, like a 49er. So uh that was Brian's tie report <laughs> brought to you by Chevron. We put uh triangle shapes on sleeves. We get back, Helen is talking about what her experience was like, and she says he looked at me with a combination of pity and loathing and brian goes clothing i've seen that before and then he points to joe and goes there it is yeah because <laughs> i guess joe's kind of got resting clothing face he definitely is a clother he's always like worried always like concerned about doing the right thing which is why he's got to like uh head over to tinsdale's house and yeah. give him a piece of his mind but i also i kind of enjoy the conversation between brian and joe where brian's going maybe she's not talented yeah, after after Helen storms out to eat mm-hmm. cookie dough, which was like almost a Helen used to be fat joke. It's like right. adjacent. That's when, like you said, Brian and Joe debate whether you know she isn't that good. I love that nobody can tell us she's talented or not because that's how I feel. Like I think that she, if I, if you asked me, I would say, yeah, that character is the most talented cello player in the world because. She can sit down and play a song on that cello. Yeah. But I guess like a conductor that has like not a gold but a silver award. <laughs> silver trumpet or something. Yeah. He can he can break it down exactly like why she wouldn't work in some kind of like world class orchestra. And like music is one of those games where, you know, you really there's so many people who can get so good at it, but you have to have this magic recipe and a lot of luck to get anywhere in music. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down also that I like Helen's shirt in that scene. Oh, what was it? It's kind of geometric, almost like Tetris pieces. It's like a kind of grayish blue button up that's sort of open. And um, it's got these kind of like stitched sort of like square shapes. They look like Tetris pieces. It's coming back to me now. It, it, it had kind of like a Western flair to it, right? Almost. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Brian had a couple good zingers in that scene. and Like when Helen says, oh, there's nothing I could have done to please him. He, Brian goes, you could have joined them. Oh, yeah. And after when Joe and Brian are talking, Brian says something to the effect of, 
she needs to know when to cut her losses. And Joe's like, oh. Uh, and you know when? I'm here, aren't I? Yeah, which is, I thought that was a really insightfully kind of great scene. Yeah, I really, I really like that. Yeah, he made a good point. He's like, you know, we're seeing him being very self-aware, being like, yeah, like, I basically had to come crawling back to like what I, where I didn't want to be mm-hmm. because I fell in love with like the most boring woman in the world named Carol. The most awful pig woman in the world if they made a movie about carol it would be about like a wife that turns into a mannequin (laughs) she's like the opposite (laughs) of mannequin in mannequin there's a mannequin that becomes interesting Mm -hmm. in uh this one it's a boring wife that becomes a mannequin anyway yeah (laughs) yeah so then joe decides to go confront tinsdale is that when we see lowell lowell sitting there stunned yeah talking to faye talking to faye yeah, so Faye's talking about Helen. Lowell's just like staring into the, staring through through you as a viewer. He, Lowell's just yes. like staring through you. He's dead eyed, and he says something like, uh, "Well, I found out that when you punch Papa in the stomach, he doesn't make a funny noise." Lowell has this streak of violence to him, doesn't he? And a little bit, yeah. Punched Papa in the gut, and then Joe asks how Papa is. And Lowell says... Um, well, the doctor gave him a sedative. But I think you'll be okay. Stuffed the pill up his nose and made it come out his ear. <laughs> and I wrote, I love that, like, the idea that this clown is still clowning even when he's being hospitalized. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like, you're, like, got blood gushing out of your right arm. And with your left arm, you're, like, doing magic tricks. It's just so yeah. great. Joe somehow is, like goading Helen at this point to go back and audition for Tinsdale again. Mm-hmm. But Helen's not having it initially, at least. She's resistant to it. But then Joe confronts Tinsdale. And again, we hear oh, the wife wife in the on. other room. Yeah. Hold on. My baby's crying. Can I go? Yeah. Wings Nuts Podcast. Hello? Oh, it's me, Papa the Clown. Wait, what? Papa the Clown? That's right. We, we're, so in this episode, they mention you, but we never actually see you on screen. How come we don't we don't see you? They cut all my scenes out of the show. Even after I took a gut punch from that motherfucker Lowell. They shot they shot scenes with you in it. Yeah, of course. You think Papa's gonna pass up the chance to be on a sitcom? I'm usually out here doing regional nan it child's parties and community events. What were you doing before the the Wings episode? Oh, I had a string of AA meetings and... Oh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah, I had a bit of a spell. Okay, yeah, that happens to the best of us. I understand. Popo takes some gut punches and he gets to drinking. How, what have you been up to ever since the, the episode? Yeah, mostly retired from clowning. Now I just do it for fun in my free time. Are you still wearing those light-up pants? Oh, yeah, I can't get these things off of me. You should get a smell of these pants. I mean, I would be honored to be in your presence, but I don't know if I want to smell those pants, Popo. I got the stinkiest pants in the clown business. Come on, tell me the truth. Ronald McDonald's got some pretty stinky pants too, right? Oh, Ronald McDonald! That motherfucker! In your opinion, are is everybody a motherfucker? <laughs> I like using salty language. Because, you see, when I'm doing kids' parties, I gotta mind my P's and Q's. Off the clock in my free time, I just let them fly. So are you still performing uh, for kids' kids parties? 
Only recreationally. Okay. Not for not for money anymore. At least that's what I tell the IRS. Oh, you gotta uh, stay a step ahead. Well, you know, Donald Trump just had to turn his uh, IRS taxes over to the Congress. How do you feel about that? Oh, good for him. I used to perform at Mar-a-Lago, so I know Trump just a little bit. I bet he's got some pretty smelly pants, though. His pants smell like a delicious platter of McDonald's and Gorilla Sweat. Who was your favorite cast member to work with when you were um, on the set of Wings? Definitely not Lowell. That motherfucker punched me in the gut, expecting I don't know what, but, but, but when you really punch me in the gut without my pyrotechnics there, my asshole blows like a clown horn. <laughs> Other than that, I liked working with Roy. I thought he was a sweetheart. What's funny is that Roy was the one who didn't know who you were uh, before, at least in the context of the episode. So did you guys become good friends afterwards? Oh, I could say we got to know each other pretty well. I learned something about Roy, that he's a bit of a, you know, a playboy. Last week he called in and told us that he likes to put anchovy oil in his hair. Did you did you smell that? His hair smelled so nice. And he took me to his favorite video rental store establishment. We picked out a couple of titles and sat down on his pleather couch and just had an evening. Did you guys go behind the curtain at that video store? Oh, yeah, behind the green door. Yeah, we did. Can you give us a, a squeeze of that clown nose for us real quick? <laughs> That's how I honked Roy. <laughs> he honked me off. Roy, wow, he honked you off. He honked me. Roy told us that you guys had, uh, that he's had everybody at that airport. Indeed he has. He had me too. I'm in line. Okay, okay. Listen, with whatever clout you have in the Wings community... I want my scenes restored. Can you just tell them producers or whomever, if they ever call you, to restore my scenes to the Blu-ray? I need some residues. Well, I heard the problem with that is that if they restore your scenes, they have to restore all of the sex scenes between the conductor and his newlywed. Oh, yeah, yeah I was in one of them scenes, too. I, I honked the, condu the conductor Tinsdale's baton. Well, there's a scene we're going to talk about a little bit later where um, Brian peeks into the conductor's open bedroom door and presumably we see uh the conductor's newlywed wife but yeah. is he actually seeing you in there is that what he says doing good i might have been under the covers just a little bit wow I, I had my, I, if i remember correctly i had my i had my red nose buried in mrs tinsdale's fish fillet <laughs> okay his her fish delight smells just like roy's hair Wow. <laughs> okay, I think I'm going to let you go now. Delicious. Thanks for calling. I really, really appreciate it. You've been a dear. Are you going to give us the, our, the Bapo's podcast seal of approval? Bapo seal of approval. <laughs> Guaranteed quality. Oh, thank you for calling in. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry about that, Emerson. My, my baby woke up and was crying. I had to put him back to sleep, put him down. Hey, Popo calls. No way. Popo calls. Popo the clown? <laughs> yeah. He said that the, his scenes uh, got cut out, so they actually recorded him, but they cut him out. Wow. I Sounds like I missed a lot. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking of which, uh, is that your, your first... Uh, PC violation. Brian peeking into that open door? Yes. Come on, man. That's so not cool, Brian. It's totally not cool. Like, he had to beeline across the room, mm -hmm. picking up a model cannon on the way, a phallic model cannon, peering directly into the room where he knew that Mrs. Tinsdale was. 
And he makes a comment like, uh, not too bad or something. What does he say? Hey, uh, you must be Mrs. Tinsdale, huh? <laughs> Bravo, maestro. You know, as a PC violation, it's pretty bad. But re what really struck me is no one spoke up. Mrs. Tinsdale didn't speak up. Uh, Mi Mr. Tinsdale didn't, like, defend his wife. Everyone just kind of let his per Brian's perversion fly. That is like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Although, talking to Popo, it sounds like maybe Brian was actually just seeing Popo in there. <laughs> yeah, do, do you think they're they're kind of swingers, the, uh, the Tinsdales, too? A conductor once went to Nantucket uh, where he saw a fat clown and he fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> the clown was named Popo, and they had a big boppo. And that red nose, you know that he sucked it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Excellent work. That was not my main PC violation. PC violation. The definitive PC violation is Roy using a racial slur when he says to Faye, oh, Gypsy. You got me spooked, Gypsy woman. <laughs> Which, Gypsy is if you don't sorry, know, sorry just, for laughing at that. <laughs> that is like just an all in all out slur, which most often the correct words for them is Romani or Roma. Mm, mm -hmm. And you know, there's other smaller sects of of, of uh, Romani, like the Sinti and stuff like that. But the history uh, is, I mean, it, of the Rom Romani is interesting. You know, it's said that the G word comes from the 11th century mm -hmm. uh, reportedly because the nomadic bands wandering around Europe at that time were mistaken as Egyptians kind of like how oh wow you know, so Egyptian yeah. Wow. yeah that's what's said anyways but it you know the word goes back so far it's just bad considering that uh, to this day the the Roma are very commonly still perse persecuted even in so-called like liberal places like France like just in fr in France in 2010 Sarkozy led raids uh, on Roma camps and which coincided with like mobs just like storming Roma camps and they called them gypsy hunts and in uh, 2018 there were waves of attacks on Roma settlements in Ukraine just in the last 10 years, there's been like large attacks on Roma in Bulgaria, Hungary, Italy, not to mention they're just discriminated against um, uh, systemically in all in all these countries. Does does Roma refer, sorry for like my ignorance on this topic, but does that refer to like Romanian? I'm not sure the genesis of it, but they're, they're ethnically called uh, Romani. Okay, interesting. And I think they came out of, they came from the east, like out of India like a thousand years ago or more. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we're talking hundreds of years where the, the, this large population of, of far flung people are pre pretty much uh, discriminated against everywhere they go. Or a lot of people don't even know that, you know, before the Nazis came for the Jewish people, the, the first group they attacked were the Romani. And I think they killed somewhere up to 2 million uh, Romani people during the Holocaust. Good God, that is awful. And uh, currently today, 90% of Roma live beneath the poverty line in Europe. Well, if you're just tuning into our comedy podcast, <laughs> uh, 
pull out pull out some tissues and cry for like the persecuted people of the world because yeah it's awful it really is like i can relate coming from a being a ginger sorry i don't mean to make light of it you gotta laugh at the terrible things in the world it sucks being different in a way where people can easily make fun of it and i know that like being a white a straight white person Mm -hmm. um just having redhead is not like enough to like to feel like I can like relate to these people. So I really, yeah, but I also can slightly, no, sorry. <laughs> what, am I, what am I trying to accomplish here? <laughs> I'm just trying to say that like, I, I really feel for them and I like think that's awful. So back to the show. <laughs> yes. Back to this week's episode of wings. Um, I love that conversation when Joe confronts the conductor and he's like, who are you? you know, to say that she's bad. And he lists all his accolades and says, like, I'm this, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm i in a position to know <laughs> and fully understand how specifically she's bad. I love, like, Joe, he's, like, telling a story, like, well, you know what? There was this, this guy, people said he wouldn't be a good pilot, but he ended up being the first man in space, and that man was John Glenn. <laughs> and uh, the conductor is like, no, it's Wally Shara. He's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's John Glenn. And this is like where, why I think that uh, the newlywed gets some of the funniest lines because she calls from the bedroom. It was Alan Shepard. It was Dog Monkey Glenn. Dog Monkey Shara. Dog Monkey Dog Glenn. Monkey it was Alan Shepard. <laughs> right, that's what you do. It's just so funny, too, to think that she's just in the other room passively listening for most of the time, just waiting for her, her husband's dick to return. You used the right word there, by the way, waiting, because she's waiting, yeah. <laughs> which is like what she yells to make the conductor be like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, sit down, talk to yeah. me a little while. Because he is her, like uh, sexed out. What is that term like when you, uh, after you've orgasmed, uh, <laughs> you need like that... Refractory, yes. Yeah, he's he needs that refractory time. <laughs> but so, can I just say about the astronaut yeah. thing? Yeah. The they were all wrong. I mean, Joe technically wasn't wrong because Joe says the first American in space. I mean, he was wrong. It was the first American in space w- was Alan Shepard, but the conductor says the first man in space was Wally Shara. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about the first man in space. The, they're all wrong. The first man in space was Yuri Gagarin, the Russian ast- uh, cosmonaut. Okay. He went to space like something like four months be- before Alan Shepard. So did it go dog monkey Yuri? <laughs> <laughs> Joe convinces the conductor to finally give like Helen a second chance to audition. And she's, of course, waiting outside the door with her cello. She plays again. And then we cut to like back at the airport. And they're talking about just the aftermath of it. Oh, also, uh, uh, maybe in between, we see that Roy convinces Faye to give him an, another reading. He hasn't slept, maybe, in like two days. <laughs> yes. He looks he frazzled. He looks like shit. What does he say? You got me spooked. This is when he says the line. That's when he says the, the G word. You got me spooked. She She's like, and there it is again, the Queen of Hearts, the death card. And then he's just like, oh, everybody knows. As Jared, you knew, as I knew, that the Queen of Spades <laughs> is the death card? I, I, I had no clue. I'm yeah. like, it turns out Roy actually knows something about not just like tarot reading, but I didn't even know you could use a just a regular 52 playing card deck for tarot reading. But I didn't either. Yeah. 
I feel like Roy's got like a top of the line jacuzzi that's like 13 years old and that he sits out and he entertains the local ladies and he knows a thing or two about every subject. Everybody knows the Queen of Spades is a death card. (laughs) So yeah, favorite read him wrong the whole time. So he didn't get the cheese card either. Meaning no, that he's no. going to buy some more airplanes to become the big cheese. Yes. <laughs> and even bigger cheese. What was it, the Queen of Hearts that he drew? I wonder what that card really is. Another funny moment, when like Helen comes in with the cello to play for the conductor, before she, she, she's kind of like, well, is it okay if I do the blah, blah, blah? And then the, the, the woman gets from the other room, play the damn thing! <laughs> yes. <laughs> that might be like the hardest I laughed in the whole episode. I think she should have come into the bedroom and been like the soundtrack to their their sex fest. And then the the, um, the newlywed wife could be like, "You're playing uh, caused us to have the worst sex of our life. You you don't understand uh, highs or lows when it comes to like passion." <laughs> but yeah, in, the, in this final scene in the airport, the gang is kind of fretting because. We learn Helen's second audition didn't go well, and everyone's expecting it just to break her. But surprisingly, Helen comes in happy. She says, and also she says that she cried and cried all night long, but then she came to a resolution where she says, and I love this is like my, maybe my favorite low line. I spent ten thousand hours like trying to like master the cello. Do you do you know how many hours that is? And all <laughs> goes. And this is a trick question, 10,000? <laughs> and that really, like, gave me a dopamine rush because I'm like, 10,000 hours? That's that That's the Malcolm, ball, Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell's whole thing, right? Yeah, I wrote that too. Take that, Malcolm Gladwell. Your 10,000 hours theory is destroyed by Helen. Although she's just practicing and not performing and getting regular feedback like the Beatles in Germany. Yeah, I first thought, like, did Malcolm Gladwell steal this from Wings? But I, you know, because in his book Outliers, that's where his bit of pop psychology 10,000 hour rule came from. But I learned that apparently he based this rule on research originally done by Ander Erickson, where the scientist had studied violinists. Uh Uh-huh. After Gladwell published Outliers, Erickson actually became a critic of Gladwell and he called the 10,000 hours rule a provocative generalization. Mm. And he said that Gladwell misunderstood that 10,000 hours was an average. And he pointed out that half of the best violinists he studied had not put in 10,000 hours yet. And some that had put in way more time in practicing were, in fact, less successful and worse at the violin. Interesting. And you know that, that Malcolm Gladwell was on the... Um the Epstein flight logs. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. So uh, we we see that, and I kind of like the way they played this, that Helen says that she cried herself to sleep the night before, but that she spent time with it. And in the end, she realized that like, it's kind of a relief to like not be burdened by trying to be like a world-class level cello player. I was like, that, that, that plot element really made me think a lot. Like, what did you think about that? I thought it was a, an interesting twist, um, but that she reached the point where she was saying she's going to throw out her cello. That felt a little overboard. Yes, you've been saying it since the beginning. Like, there's got to be some middle ground. Like, how about maybe don't play for two hours, practice for two hours a day, but, you know, pull it out and just enjoy it a little bit. Like, I, I studied clarinet when I was a kid, and you practiced fairly regularly. At some point, 
stopped practicing and kind of put it away, but I still have a clarinet. And every once in a while, it's kind of cool to pull out and see if I could still play rock and Robin. Like, like I, I don't like her throwing out the cello completely, but I did like that she found a way to enjoy a sunrise and, and be happy about, you know, coming to terms with that. She, she's not going to be a famous cellist. Um, there's a lot of people who are really, really good at basketball. And like when they're playing um, basketball in high school, they're like, "I'm at a level where I could be a professional basketball player." And then they'll hit they'll hit college, and they'll be like playing basketball in college, and be like, "I'm really good, but I'm seeing that there's like a bigger pool, so I'm gonna like up my game and try to like try even harder and see if I can mm-hmm. be at that level." And at some point, I feel like it's healthy for people to realize that that they're never gonna hit that top tier. Yeah. That like that maybe and also like that's like, such an interesting I, interesting time to think like were you doing this because it was fun or mm-hmm. were you doing this because you were trying to be a world class level you're trying to be like Michael Jordan. Yeah. When you realize that you can't be Michael Jordan, is it fun in any way? And if it's not, mm-hmm. then yeah, maybe fucking throw it away. But I think a lot of those b-ball guys and gals like have a healthy take Got, on it where guys. at a certain no uh, sorry no there is like a WNBA <laughs> at a certain point like it's ob- it becomes obvious they're not going to get into the NBA but I'm, I'm sure a lot of them still enjoy playing basketball with their friends on the weekend and yeah maybe pl- even having being in a regional team like you know f- find the middle ground it would be nice if, if we could see Helen demonstrating some like awareness of the middle ground because all we see is that she auditions for these like big name, but we never like hear of her, you know, being like, Oh, like, uh, like there was a wedding party and I got to like play cello for this wedding party. And like, it was so Mm -hmm. beautiful. We never see that. So maybe she is, maybe she only sees it as work and she, she's only playing the cello because she thinks that it's a good way for her to be on the world level in some way that like, I could be and like, yo-yo ma. That could be why Tinsdale saw through it that she wasn't meant for it because I'm sure for the top world's top-tier cellists and musicians, it's a passion be- outside of their ego for them, and there's just something of, about them that they're, they're playing for their, own, for their own heart, and like that comes through the music. But for her, because it's just this instrument for fame and fortune and success maybe she truly isn't meant for that because like there's all these fields like sports entertainment music where it's not enough to be talented there's a very small pool that of people that make it there's got to be a human especially with an art form like that there's got to be the human emotion underneath it all like we all love our beeps and our bloops you know our, uh, that that band Beep Loop 2003, mm-hmm. Beep Loop, yes. boop, 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 boop. we all love it. But what really what we what we like want to hear is like Limp Biscuit telling you to break something, you know, giving yes. you that catharsis of just like yeah, Woodstock '99, <laughs> let's burn it to the ground. And then we get the funny kind of the re- the reverse. It's kind of like a funny way to play it, where in the end he's coming, the uh, conductor's coming through the airport again. Helen goes and t- to talk to him and she goes, I can't tell you how much of a relief it is to have you tell me that like I'm talentless because it's like this weight off my shoulders. 
Mm-hmm. And then he does the reverse thing where he's like, <laughs> actually, I might have like overstepped my bounds. I, you actually like might, you do have like a glimmer of hope <laughs> and talent. <laughs> and she like tackles him. It's really funny. She physically assaults him. She knocks him down to the back of the chair mm-hmm. and is on top of him, not quite choking him. Yeah. And he looks frightened. Yeah. And then <laughs> Joe picks her up too. Like she weighs like less than a Chucky doll. Yeah. Joe picks her up and carries her off and puts plops her on the counter. That's so funny. Tinsdale was a pompous ass, but he also put up with a lot of grief from this crew. He's had his luggage stolen. He repeatedly had unwanted visits to his sex cabin. And then he, at the end, he's physically assaulted. It's just good thing that Yelp didn't exist then, because I, I can't imagine what kind of review he'd be re- leaving Sandpiper Air. Yeah, Brian has an another great line. He had some of the best lines this episode, but he uh, tells Helen. Well, Helen, if it makes you feel any better, I've always doubted your talent, and I still do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> so, by the way, like, like I looked up Crystal Bernard height hoping that it would tell me how much she weighed. But when you look up Crystal, <laughs> when you Google Crystal Bernard height, the first picture is of her next to Shaq. <laughs> and she looks, she looks like she's like three foot one. Oh my God. But she is five foot three. And according to celebrity tall, <laughs> celebrity tall.com. Oh wait, so celebrity tall.gov. <laughs> <laughs> Does she potentially weighs 117 pounds? I don't know if Wait, people actually know that. That's weird. People actually know how what's much her she height weighs. though. Five foot three, and it, oh, she weighs 117 in 1990, and she weighs 350 in 1978. Oh yeah, that, it mentions that. <laughs> it says this fat piece of lard lost a lot. <laughs> that 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 wraps out the episode, right? It does. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to mention. I think we hit all the beats and beat all the meat. On to the, the stripes. I know the highest I've gone so far is three star, or three stripes out of four. And that's I'm doing that on purpose because I'm like waiting to see if something... You know what I mean? Like If you, if you go four at the beginning... There, there's no ceiling to go higher. Um, and I'm not saying that any of these have hit the four stripe category mm-hmm. for me, like sitcom-wise. Um, and wings wise, this one is up there for me. I think it's great, mm-hmm. but I I think I I'm sticking around three stripes personally. Like I think that it's on par. It's got mm-hmm. some PC violation. It's the plot line is like kind of fun, but it's also like I feel I feel like other episodes have been like more fun. Yeah, I agree. I was wavering between three and four stripes just because it was a completely delightful episode. But there was a glaring PC violation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I love the shenanigans of the plot, but it was all very low stakes, no character progression. And I feel like some of the funniest stuff was kind of told and not shown. Like, I really, Popo was teased, and I really wanted to see Popo the Clown. I mean, they straight up had Dude, a... Dude, I can't believe you fucking missed Popo. <laughs> Dude, Popo <laughs> called me a motherfucker, by the way. But well, I, think, I think that might be par for the course. I think he might call everybody that. Well, maybe you shouldn't fuck your mother. And he, he, no, I'm kidding. Jared, I do not. 
Right? You got a little popo in you today. Jesus. <laughs> no, but, but like, I feel like in a show that's represent, like, referencing some sort of festival event. Yeah. I want to see, like, the Wings crew at a festival event. I want to see Faye in her Madame Zara outfit, you know? So. Yeah, agree. Well, okay. I'll, I'll say this episode is three Captain Stripes and a honk of Popo's horn. <laughs> All right. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast on an app, please give it a rating and maybe a comment. If you hate it, tell us how much you hate it. But give it, yeah, if you hate it, give it five stars and tell us you hate it. Yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, we talked about this episode, this week's episode of Wings. Next week, we will have season two, episode four, which is entitled Sports and Leisure. So... Uh, Emerson, you're our sports guy. You're going to have to carry the weight next week. I'll just be confused. Cool. Perfect. But thanks for talking wings with me, Emerson. Uh, you too, Jared. Thanks for talking wings with me. Toodaloo. Boop-boop. I spent so much time trying to figure out Brian's goddamn ties. (laughs) Yes, I know. I was pausing. (laughs) Enhance, enhance, enhance.